Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the ins and outs of selling your business. Uh, for those of you joining us for the first time, my name is Keith D. I'm president of Osage Advisors. Osage Advisors is a boutique investment bank working with business owners looking to sell their companies, typically with $5 million in revenues and up. So today's topic, um, I want to kind of go back and talk about you know who's the best buyer or buyers for your business. Um, it's one of the most active M&A markets we've seen in the last 20 plus years. Uh, every report I read, 21, uh, 2021 was a, was a historic uh, record year for M&A and 2022 is uh, on the same pace. So as a business owner, uh, I'm sure your phones are ringing. Um, and before you pick up that phone, um, you should kind of understand, you know, let's talk a little bit about, you know, who are the best buyers, right? So we work with family close sale companies. Uh, a number of our clients are either first generation or second generation. Um, statistically, um, about 23, 25% of business passed down from the first generation to the second generation. And then it's less than 15% from the second generation to the third generation. So the likelihood is you're going to be selling to somebody outside your family. And so who are these, who are these types of buyers, right? So the first one, of course, is a strategic buyer, someone that's in and around your industry, uh, someone you may have known for years. Um, we have a lot of clients asking. Uh, in fact, yesterday we were with a, with a potential client, and he says, should I be talking to or should we be talking to um, his peer group, people that know him very well, seen him at trade shows, they probably bid against each other in, in, in competitive environments uh, on product lines or services. Are those the type of buyers we should be talking to? From our perspective, the answer is maybe, right? You need to broaden your horizon. Maybe it's a strategic buyers that are in a industry that is close to yours, but not directly in it. That kind of buyer wants to get into your business, but currently doesn't have an avenue for it. And they think the best way to accelerate their strategic plan is to buy into buy a company in that market. And typically those type of buyers, those type of strategic buyers will likely pay, um, higher multiple or, or greater value because they need to get into that marketplace. Whereas someone who you compete with thinks they know all your warts, so to speak, and they know what you do. And so they kind of devalue a bit about your business because they, they think they do it better. So they may not pay the highest multiple. You know, for example, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. We, we sold a company a couple years ago um, and there was a, a company uh, on the West Coast, our company's on the East Coast, and this West Coast company, direct competitor with our client, they wanted to get into um, an East Coast-based operation. Our client was a little suspect, a little nervous about it, so we kind of held off a bit. We went through our process. We went out to a number of parties, and then we decided to say, let's have a conversation with this business. So we called them up not identifying our client, not, not talking about our client, just kind of get a sense of where they were in the market. Were they in the acquisition mode? 
Have they made acquisitions recently? What are they looking for? You know, what kind of parameters, investment criteria, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we gathered all information and then we went back to our client and we said, here they are. This is what they offer. This is what they want to do. Do you want us to have a conversation with them? And the answer was yes. So we allowed him into the process. And it turns out their initial bid or offer was far less than several other parties because they felt they can do it better than we can do it. They felt they knew the business better than we knew the business, et cetera, et cetera. So they didn't put a premium on it. Where someone who wants to get into that business, who's not currently in that market, uh, who doesn't have that product line, who doesn't have that technology or the people, et cetera, they put a premium or higher value. So you really, when you when someone picks up the phone or, or if you're thinking about selling and say, I'm just going to call so-and-so down the street, you know, that may not be the best avenue for you to maximize value. So the strategic buyers come in a lot of different shapes and forms, right? Your competition, people around uh, the globe who wants to get into the, into the United States, um, uh, people who want to expand their product offerings. They have a synergistic customer base. This would fall right into a natural feel for them. So you want to keep your options open when you look at strategic buyers and see what values they bring to the table. Another buyer that's really kind of come to um, high recognition and, and from uh, is, is what we call private equity firms. Um uh, you know, when I started the business over 20, year, 20 years ago, I think there was maybe 1,000 private equity firms out there. Today, I think just in the U.S., there's more than 4,000 private equity firms. So, you know, what is a private equity firm and what do they bring to the table? And should I look to sell to them or partner with them? So there's several different types of private equity firms and there's several different ways they work. So essentially, a private equity firm is a, uh, a company that is backed by institutional capital, like CalPERS or New York Pension Plan, et cetera. And they invest that money on those, on those investors' behalf and look to make a return. So they're looking to buy the business and hold it for a, a specific time. It could be three years, it could be five years, it could be seven years. But there's definitely an end game. They have a fund, they're looking to invest. That fund could be a half billion dollar fund. It could be a billion dollar fund. It could be $1.5 billion fund. It could be bigger. But at some point in time, they need to realize in their investments because they need to return that capital back to their investors. So, and private equity firms work in several different ways. Um, some are looking for what they call platform investments. So what's a platform investment? It's a, it's a new investment in a new industry that they currently don't have any ownership in or any companies in, right? There's what they call add-on investments, which means that they have a platform, they have a company they already bought, and now they're looking to bolt on additional companies to, to grow the business on uh, sales and profitability and expand product lines. So from you, from a seller, what does that mean to you? Right. If you're the platform investment, it means you're the first person at the table. I mean, this equity fund is looking to partner with you, right? They're looking to you to roll some equity. So they may acquire 60% of your business or 51% of your business, 70% of business, whatever we negotiate, whatever you're comfortable with. So they're looking to partner with you 
to build this business. So you're going to invest some of your capital with them to grow it. But you are now like in the driver's seat. They are backing you. So the goal here is to build this business from, say, a $20 million company or a $50 million company to a $100 million company to a $150 million company. So if you're the platform, you are kind of driving the process and they're backing you. So what if you're an add-on, right? So there's already a platform in place. So the company's looking to buy add-on you. So you're doing maybe 10 million revenue and you know profits who well, 1 million, 2 million, 3 million. And so that's going to be accretive in value to them. And you're going to either sell outright or you have an opportunity to roll some equity. But you are in a position of a minority position that you are below the platform. So you got to think about that. Is that something that makes sense to me? And it works for a lot of business owners. You know, they want to be in a position where they're still running the company day to day over a couple, three year period. They have uh, skin in the game, so to speak. And they are really believing in the growth strategy and exit plan for this uh, platform investment. But if you're an add on investment, you really need to understand what I would say where they are in their fund. So, like I said, private equity funds have a holding period of three, you know, say average five years. So, if they just made a platform investment and they're year two of the fund and you're, you're uh, going to be uh, partnering with them, you probably got a three to four year run rate before they sell out and sell to either a strategic buyer or another equity fund that buys bigger deals. But if they are at the end of the fund, that you may only be in that fund for, say, a year. Does that make sense to you? Is that something you want to do? Disrupt your your employees, disrupt your uh, organization, and does that work for you? That they you know they bought you, and a year later they sell you again as part of a bigger deal. Does that make sense? And it may. It may not be a concern for you, but there's something you should be aware of. So when equity funds come to the table, you know they bring a lot of um, not only cash, but they bring a lot of what I would call resources that can help build. So understanding whether you're a platform and add-on, how are they going to help me, how they help me grow my business is critical because they're diligent, due diligence on you. You want to diligence them as well. Uh, we just went through a transaction where our client is uh, is a platform investment. They uh, is the first uh, investment in space by this uh, fairly large private equity fund. And what we recommended to our client during this process was that we need, uh, you need to pick up the phone and call some other business they had bought or partnered with to get a clear understanding about how it's worked for other business owners. I mean, these are your peers. And the equity fund, uh, we had, I think we had four different funds at the table uh, before we made a final decision. Our client made something like 25 phone calls to 25 different businesses that have been bought by these various funds just to get a sense of how things have worked out. And that helps you with your comfort level uh, and moving forward with the transaction. Now, if someone said, uh, we don't give references, that should be a major red flag to you. If they're not allowing you to speak to some of the other business they had bought, I would be very suspect about, you know, how things have worked out. You know, a lot of business owners have the perception that these equity funds are coming in to be their, be your boss, right? They're financial buyers. They are, they're not operators. They want to partner with you. They want to provide you with the resources 
financial and other to help you grow the business. But if they're not allowing you to talk to a company they bought in the past, you know, whether good or bad, then, you know, that's maybe not the right fund for you to partner with. So you really need to understand not only what a private equity fund is, but also where you fit into their strategy. Again, a platform investment and or an add-on investment. And those are questions that you should be asking. You know, typically uh, for Osage, those are questions that we raise with uh, when we're doing our, our process is that we get a lot of interest from equity funds. Uh, I mean, my phone, I'm, I must, again, I, I, I said in a prior, a prior episode, you know, we get hundreds of emails a month from equity funds looking to have a conversation. So when they are actually have looking at a client of ours, a customer of ours, um, have read it through the materials, we get on the phone with them. And we we, we want to understand, you know, what the value add is that they're bringing to the table for our clients. And so we have that conversation with client. Hey, by the way, this fund's been around for four years. Uh, they've already made 16 acquisitions. Likelihood to maybe another one or two years and they're going to sell out. Just be you know, aware of that and where you fit in that order. So understanding where the private equity fund comes to the table is, is important. And, and believe me, you know, our potential clients we've met with the last you know, probably the last 20, but in the last three months, the amount of phone calls they're getting from equity funds that want to make an investment is is just, uh, it's off the charts right now. I mean, you know, it is a it, it is a seller's market. There's a ton of money sitting out there. And these equity funds we're talking about, we're talking about, they're sitting on a, a one to $1.5 trillion of, of cash they need to invest. So all of us are getting phone calls. They're looking to put money to work. But understanding what that fund is, where it's coming from, how they work, is critical to see if that fits in with your with your goals and objectives. I mean, there's other funds out there too. They call they call themselves private equity funds, but you know they're they're called fundless sponsors. Well, what what does that mean? What's a fundless sponsor? Well, that means that they have a fund, but they have no money. They raise money for each deal. So if you pick up the phone and you talk to somebody who's like I'm I'm, I'm so and so capital. You say, are you committed fund? That means that they've already raised the money, again, from like the California pension plan, New York pension plan, other investors. They're sitting on committed capital of a half billion, a billion dollars. They're ready to write that check and make a deal happen. If they're a fundless sponsor, they have to go out and do a road show. They go out and have to raise money for each deal, specific deal. So if you're talking to somebody who's looking to buy a company and they haven't done a deal in the past, you know, what is the likelihood they can raise the money to make this deal happen and finance it? You know, if they don't have that money in place, you need to be very suspect about their ability to close. You know, certainly closes paramount. And some of these funds out there, they, they kind of say they're, uh, they're funds, but really they're just an individual looking to buy a business. So they get into a detailed conversation with you. They start digging through things and, you know, one thing leads to another. They say, hey, by the way, we kind of, we saw something here. So we need to, we need to restructure the deal, right? And they're restructuring the deal because their investors that they're hoped to bring into it are only willing to put money into the deal based on certain terms that may be different than the original terms that they set forth. So understanding how that fundless sponsor or that individual who say he's a, uh, private equity fund work are critical. Now, there's a lot of good fundless sponsors out there. 
Uh, there's a lot more flexibility. You, but you look at their websites, you talk to them, you know, they've done, you know, a half dozen deals over the last three years, or they've done 25 deals over the last 20 years. Obviously, they have good, deep connections with the financing community, financing community that allow them, that support them. Because they've delivered returns, and these finance, whether it's equity, whether it's debt, want to reinvest with these guys because they have a proven track record. But talking to someone who has no track record about selling what the most valuable asset you own, you know, is something you really got to think about before you make that commitment to move forward. Because they may not be able to get the deal done, and you're going to spend you know, months in due diligence. Um, taking your kind of eye off the ball, focused on a potential transaction, it doesn't happen. Um, and, you know, that happens all the time. I'm sure all of us have heard war stories about that. So finding that right private equity buyer that meets with your goals and objectives, whether you roll equity and get the second bite of the apple, you sell it down the road, and sometimes that's worth more than your first bite, whether you are a uh, what we call a, you know, an add-on investment and you roll a little less equity and, but down, you think that's a smart, a smart investment for you and your family. And then you also get, you know, second bottle of equity down the road. You know, those are things that you got to think about, but you know, you got to make sure you understand who you're talking to when it comes to the equity players, because a lot of these phone calls you're getting are from representatives, uh, like we call buy side firms representing equity funds looking to get you know get a, get a hook in and have a conversation with you. So understanding that private equity buyer and where you are in the process bringing to it is really something you got to think about. And at Osage, we talk about that with with our clients, and we talk about that all the time when we pitch new business about just for our uh, owners get us understanding what these potential you know buyers bring to the table. You know, again, the other other things you look at is you know, from a buyer, you know, who the best buyer is, and I'll just come back is is kind of like a family member, right? I mean, like I said, like twenty five percent or less of second generation goes to the uh, um, business goes second generation, and and it's less than fifty percent the third. But you know, all of us would love to sell our companies to to the next generation, uh, but sometimes they don't want it. Right, they've gone to college. They've got a career, whether it be engineering, IT, medical, and they, you know, they want to spread the rings and 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 test their own careers. They're really not interested in the family business. And there are other members of the family who are interested in the family business, but they really, you know, how are they going to allow you to exit so you can take money off the table in a way that protects for you and your spouse and still support your family moving forward. I mean, we had a situation a few years back where um, father-son team, great, great, great family. Um, the son's been kind of running the business as CEO for like 25 years. Uh, they decided to sell. And they came to us and we put together our memorandum and we were literally ready to hit the button to go to market. We had like 350 potential buyers, our equity, private fund database. And the owner says, look, my son wants to buy the business. I said, okay, it's your business. So we understand that. So we stopped the process. Uh, eight, eight months later, he calls me back, says, yeah, I think we want to go to market. I said, well, what happened? He said, well, you know, he didn't, you know, I need to take some money off the table to support me and, and, and my wife for the next you know, 20, 30 years. Um, and he would have, my son would have to take over a, a, a sizable bank loan. Um, for the half of business that he had to finance. And at the end of the day, 
he didn't really want to sign personally on it. He wanted personally guaranteed a debt. So he said, I'd rather just sell out. So here we are, like two years later, we ended up selling a company to a, a great uh, strategic buyer that was looking to get into the uh, Northeast market. And the son stayed on for two years as CEO and ran it. But again, you know, it's your biggest asset. So selling to a family member is one thing. Creating a liquidity event when you sell to a family member is another thing. So having those conversations with, uh, with your kids uh, or your partners uh, or other family members uh, is really important to have early in the process. You know, how are you going to get me out and how are you going to get me out? How are you going to finance me out of this business in a way that works for all of us? And if the answer is that we can't do it, right, then maybe the next thing is, okay, like we said, 25% or less go to the family members. Then we go to the open market. And then when you go to the open market, it's not like your family's going away. You can find the right buyer, whether it's strategic or private equity, where that family member uh, maintains, whether it be uh, a senior position or an equity partner. We're talking to a company right now where the owner is in his 70s. Uh, he wants to um, work for maybe a transitional period and get out, but his son wants to stay on the business. And so we're working away through his advisors where that there will be a role of equity. So he's going to take a significant amount of money off the table. The equity investment is going to stay in, in his son's name through gifting and however, you know, how the, uh, we'll leave it up to the state and trust lawyers, uh, make that happen. But his son will stay in the business. He will have an ownership in the business. The business name will stay the legacy of the family business. So all the various boxes are checked. I'm out after a short period. My son wants to stay in. He has an ownership interest, not only an ownership interest, but there's also a management bonus pool that he's going to participate in. So when he, if he does his job, you know, five years down the road, he can reinvest with the next buyer or he, at that point in time, maybe he wants to sell out. So there's a lot of options you got to consider when you're looking at the buyers and what they bring to the table. And, you know, we're, we're here to help you with that discussion. And I want to thank you again for, um, spending time with us today on our podcast. Again, my name is Keith D. Osage Advisors. You can reach us through our website at uh, osageadvisors.com. Uh, call me at 860-767-3273, extension 1001, or shoot me an email anytime at kdee at osageadvisors.com. Thanks again for your time and have a great day. <laughs>